0: The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip, and he said to him, Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found the Messiah. I'm sorry, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no guile. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Thank you, have a seat. As you sit down and pull out your bulletin for note-taking, if that's something you do for sure, pull out your Bible and turn to John chapter 1. The title of this week's sermon is Seeing Jesus in Jacob's Ladder, and of course Jacob's Ladder being that heavenly vision that Jacob saw all the way back in Genesis chapter 28. So how we get from Genesis 28 up to John chapter 1 is an interesting story, but before we get to that story, I thought we would take a few moments, a few minutes here, to just pause and appreciate the fine example of personal evangelism that Philip gives us. And, in fact, I think we can peck out four tips that you can use to improve your personal evangelism just by looking at what Philip did. So, the first tip, I would say, is this. The first tip is, first, be a follower of Christ. Jesus said to Philip, follow me, and Philip did. We see that later on in the passage. So, this sounds pretty basic. If you're going to share Christ, you need to be a follower of Christ. But you would be surprised, perhaps, how many people are pressured into sharing the gospel. They are guilted into sharing the gospel, and they're not really even following Christ the way they ought to be. Have you ever been pressured or guilted into sharing the gospel? I I have been. Uh, When I was younger, I was in a, 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 a church environment Where if you got on an airplane and took a trip somewhere, you better have shared the gospel with the guy sitting next to you. If he was sleeping, if he had his headphones on, that didn't matter. Because if, and dad, you know this, you were in that same environment. If you came back from that trip and you didn't have a story about how you shared the gospel with the guy sitting next to you, literally your faith would be questionable. And so, you know, I'm all about feeling conviction from the Holy Spirit. But I'm not, by God's grace, no longer am I ever going to feel guilty for something that a legalist puts on me. Some people need to be followers of Christ because unfortunately uh, they feel pressured by someone else's guilt to share the gospel. Less surprising than this, but more common, are the people who are blind to the fact that though they may have been a Christian for many years, they have long stopped being a true follower Jesus. A real father. I mean, they've got the church attendance down, they've got the lingo down, they've got the doctrine down, and they even have like those major sins that would cause social problems in their life. They got those tamped down pretty well, but what they don't have down is a heart that beats for Jesus, that longs to hear his voice, a heart that really seeks after what does Christ want me to do with my life. And if you're going to be a true follower of Jesus, then it means you're following Jesus as you know him from your time in this book, where the time with Jesus is sweet, and your prayers to Jesus are desperate, and your worship to Jesus is authentic, and And all those components of your life that you lay up on that sacrificial altar to give to Him, it's easy to do because you have have lost all connection with who you once were. You no longer have ownership of those life choices. You can truly say along with Paul with his testimony, I am crucified to the world and the world is crucified to me. That's what it means to really be following Jesus. Philip did that. And too many people, they've got a version of Christianity that is lightweight, low consequences, socially acceptable, and safe. And we don't need anyone converted to that kind of Christianity. And so if you first are not a true follower of Christ, by conviction, and you know it, with every fiber of your being, don't put evangelism on the front burner right now. That, that's something that will come later. Right now, you need to think about what is my relationship not with the church, not with the denomination, not with a movement, not with any preacher or teacher that we all admire. What is my relationship with Jesus? And if that describes you, then we could, to me, that, that first tip is if we really got a hold of that that would radicalize your personal evangelism. But there's more here. A second tip I would say is share through relationship. In verse 44, after he's accepted this call, it says, Now Philip went from Bethsaida to the city of Andrew... I'm sorry. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. I think that's important. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We... We have found him, of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So he says, we, even though he's standing there by himself, I think he's talking about him and Andrew and Peter. I think that what we see, so if you look back, I I think they had some kind of relationship already with Jesus. If you compare all the, the the recordings of Peter's calling, they look a little different. And, and part of that reason, I think, is because this, what we see here in verses 35 to 42, that's not Peter's calling. That may be the first time, or I don't even think it's the first time. That's just one of the times that Peter came in contact with Jesus. When we look back in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, there you see... A calling of Peter, the calling of Peter. He's mending his nets. Jesus is preaching. And it says that uh, Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little way to land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And I often thought, why would... Why would A fisherman that's mending his nets and working, some street preacher comes along and says, hey, let me get your boat, push me out a little ways while I preach. Why would he do that? Well, the answer is because in the previous chapter we see that Jesus was in Peter's mother-in-law's house healing her. I think Peter had an ongoing relationship with Jesus. Maybe Peter was even there because he knew that's where Christ would be preaching. He thought, I can listen to him and I can uh, get my work done at the same time. I think Peter was kind of slow rolled into being a disciple. I think Philip here had talked about these things with Peter and come finally through relationship it came. We see the example of sharing Jesus through relationship, and then he comes to Andrew, either a brother. I always thought Andrew was his brother. How many people here think that Andrew is Philip's brother? Raise your hand. Am I the only one? Dad, help me out here. Am I the only one? I could have sworn that. I can't find any evidence. So if you can find some evidence that Andrew and Philip are brothers, I would appreciate it. But they seem to know each other. They have a relationship because he's excited to come to him and share, hey, we have found the one that Moses has spoke about So we have Jesus being shared through relationship. That's important for you. It's more important that you're a good neighbor that takes your time before you invite someone to church or go over there and share the gospel. It's never going to work if you're a bad neighbor and then all of a sudden you tell them, oh, by the way, I follow Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you're going to go to hell. That's not going to work. You know, here's also, this is critical too. If you plan on sharing Jesus through relationships, you can't be a hypocrite. That doesn't work either. can't do that. So you need to truly be a follower of Christ. And you're always, you know, always building more relationships with people. Uh, there was a guy that's been coming in my office during the week, and he doesn't have a job. And at first, he really seemed like a bother to me. And i like... I can't do that. i got to work, man. Just because I'm here doesn't mean you can come in and talk to me whenever you want. It took two weeks before the Holy Spirit kind of knocked on me and said, Hey, I'm bringing this guy here for a reason. I started to build a relationship with him. And we have a real love for each other. A brotherly love. A friendship. And so you have to be following Christ. Building relationships. And then you can share Jesus through the relationships. One side note here. Also... Note how he described it. He said, we have found him, in verse 45, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. And so we know that Philip and his group of friends were already doing what we're setting out to do this year, which is to see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. They were already doing that. Let me ask you this question. Based on your current time in the Word and the amount of study and commitment you have to God's Word, if you were there, would you have known the Word of God well enough to recognize the Messiah when you saw Him? We have an advantage now. It's all looking back for us, but what if you didn't have that advantage? Would you be like Philip and Andrew and Peter and have enough of an understanding brought about through time with Jesus, but also brought about through John the Baptist's preaching, But they saw in Jesus what they saw in the word of God. Third tip. Let's see, look at verse 46. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And they went to Jesus together. So here's the third tip. Be a go-betweener. Be a go-betweener. You know, you don't have to be the one that has all the answers. All you have to do is... Transport a person with questions to a person that you know has the answers. Philip's strategy was simple. I'm going to connect you with the person that can give you what you need. And he did not let the fact that he didn't have the answer stop him from still inviting the people. Uh, In fact, this was a pattern that Philip had established in his life in John chapter 12, verses 20 through 23. So later on now, he's been a disciple for quite some time. And some Greeks come to Philip, and they say, "'Sir, we wish to see Jesus.' And Philip told Andrew, and then Andrew and Philip together took the Greeks and took them to Jesus. You know, if those Greeks had gone to Peter, Peter probably, you know, Peter, a son of thunder, right? You know, James and John were sons of thunder. But Peter probably would have, hey, I'll share the gospel with you. I'll tell you what you need to do. But not everyone's a son of thunder. Some people are go-betweeners. And that's okay. That's great. Take them to where the gospel can be explained clearly. Now, one final tip we see at the end of verse 46. This is a good one, I think. Offer them an experience. Offer them an experience. He's, you know, Nathaniel was more than just doubtful. I mean, he was like mockingly um, incredulous. And Philip said, well, just come and see. Come and see. If you want to convince someone... Oh, I'm trying to bend over. anyone ever have these christmas cakes can you see those you guys like these can you imagine what if someone amongst us had never tried one and we're all like no this is really good stuff and they're like no that doesn't look good how would we convince them that it was really good? Well I'd say, well look, it's got 22 grams of sugar per serving. It's gotta be good. And, no, no, I don't believe it. No, really. Maybe I could give them the history of Little Debbie and how everything Little Debbie produces is delicious. That's a fact. That's, we could convince them that way. What if, what if I was just trying to just agree with me that these are good and the person says, no, I, I don't agree with you. What would be a sure-proof way to get them to agree with me? open, right? Who wants one? That's what I you. want one? There's some college students back there. There you go. Almost. You can have it. Don't open it in the auditorium. Wait till you're out. You're the first one that said it, don't Eric? You get one. Almost. You open it up and you eat it. You're like, oh yeah, this is good. The same is true with evangelism. It's almost like we're trying to get them to agree with us before they have time to actually experience Jesus. So how, how can you get them to experience it? Listen, there's some real practical things you can do. Um, one of them is that series, uh, the, the Chosen. Dallas Jenkins has this TV series called The Chosen. It's just, it's the, it's the life of Jesus. It's very well produced. It's not cringy. It's not corny. You will not be embarrassed. In fact, I think the court small group is watching. them with your small group right now, right? You can just say, hey, you know what? Why don't you just come to my house? we we'll, will grow some hot dogs, and we'll just start watching this. If you like it, you can keep watching. It. But let's just at least watch a couple together. See what you think. See what you're doing. Is you're, just, you're not putting them on the spot. You're not trying to convince them to believe anything. You're just asking them to come and just experience Jesus as I know him. Or another way you could do it is invite them to church here. You know, we have these invite cards. They're, this week, they're right by the, uh, the bulletins, but it says join me. And these are for you to take. You just take it. You can put your number in there if you want. But the idea is, I want you to come to something that's special to me, and I think it could be special for you. But just come and try it. Take the Philip approach and say, "Come and see." But you know, we work hard at good worship, good children's ministry. We think that there's a lot of people in town that would be blessed by this kind of service. Just invite them. Be be a go-betweener and just invite them to come and see. One other one other way, real quick, because we have. Uh, this is an excellent way to share a gospel. It's so easy, and it's, and it's really well done, and it just it really guides you. Just say, hey, you know what? Why don't you come? We'll do a study together. And, and just go through it with them. You're just asking them to learn a little bit, just to experience a little bit. Or you can do a study on TV, whatever it might be. The point is, you're not asking them to make a decision on the spot. You're just introducing them slowly to Jesus. These are great tips, and you can do this. And, and, uh, you know, if you want to learn more about how to share the gospel or go through that, we'd be happy to facilitate a study for you. We've got a lot of good teachers in our church that would be happy to do that. But I thought that was worth observing before we get to the really interesting part here. Here's what I find intriguing is Jacob's ladder in relation to Jesus. Now, in Jesus' interaction with Nathaniel, we find three curious clues that something more is happening here than what we read. Have you, ever, have you ever been a third person in a conversation and these two people are talking and you're kind of a part of it, but real quick you get the understanding. They're, they're talking about something that I'm left out of. They're talking to each other in a way that they both get what they're saying, but I, I'm missing something here. Have you, ever, have you ever had that happen to you? I kind of get that feeling when I'm reading this passage. Like, something else has happened. I I feel like I've missed something. And so let's look at these clues and kind of sleuth them out and see if we can get to the bottom of it. Here's the first clue. I think that something more is going on. First of all, Jesus' is odd greeting. He greeted Nathaniel in a weird way. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him. And Jesus said, Behold. An Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no guile, that's the King James Version, or in whom there is no deceit. So first of all, he said, Behold, which is a statement about Nathanael as much as it is a statement to him. You know, behold me, look at this guy. Look at this. So it's almost like Jesus is preaching and in comes Nathanael and says, Look, he's telling everyone else to look at him. He's saying something about him and he's saying something to him. Look, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. That's another weird thing, is that he calls him an Israelite. Now, why is that weird that he calls him an Israelite? Because they were all Israelites, in Israel at the time. So why would he identify him as an Israelite? That'd be like, if I was preaching to you right now, and someone came in, in the back, it was late, and they're just trying to slip in a back pew, and I said, look, Diana, an American who's honest. You'd all be like, did I miss something? What is going on here? Jesus brought attention to the fact that he was an Israelite. And um, I, I think he's, he's calling out that somehow Nathaniel's got an exemplary status as an Israelite. And then he says he has no guile. I like the word guile more than, what does the, the ESV says Deceit. Really, it's, it's the idea of being sly, and cunning, intelligent, cleverly deceitful. And he's saying, this, this guy doesn't have any of that in him at all. And that, to me, seems like a non-sequitur. Why, no one was saying he was, he was deceitful. Why did you bring that up? So all that, to me, is, strikes me as odd. That doesn't seem like a greeting that would be normal. Now, here, here's a second clue as to why this seems curious. In verse 48 and 49. Oh, and by the way, when he said this is a man without guile," Nathaniel at this time also is like, he said, do you know me? Why would you make that statement about me? I've never met you, you've never met me. Why? Why would you say that? But the second curiosity here is that Nathan's unexpected conclusion, Nathaniel's unexpected conclusion. So in verse 48, Nathanael said, how do you know me? And Jesus said, before it felt called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And note Nathanael's response in verse 49. He says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. People could get stoned for saying that. He said, you are the king of Israel. You could also get stoned for saying that. But he made this declarative statement. Why did he make that statement? What was going on in this conversation that we missed that would cause him to be so sure this guy is the Messiah? I mean, if I saw Randy at Walmart, he came into church today and I said, hey, Randy, I saw you in the Frozen aisle in Walmart. Randy would not be like, Ryan, you are America's greatest preacher. If he did, you guys would be like, huh, I wonder what happened in the frozen island, you know? That's kind of like this statement here. It says, I, I saw. I saw you under the fig tree. So that's, that's curious about what really is going on here. And then one last thing in verse 50 and 51 is Jesus' mysterious promise. Jesus said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? So this was a little thing in Jesus' eyes. He said, you will see greater things than these. If you're impressed with that, Philip, I'm sorry, if you're impressed with that, Nathaniel, I've got more to show you. Here's what it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened, and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So what is going on here? That's a, that's a mysterious promise. You're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That phrase is unique. It was, it's never repeated. He never, we never see him say it again. Now, Son of Man, that's always used. Jesus always called himself the Son of Man because he, he cherished the connection he had with humanity. Another example of why the gospel needs to be shared through relationship. But this idea of ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he promised Nathaniel. You'll see this. What, what did he promise? Well... Keep your finger here, but really, really, turn all the way back to Genesis chapter 28. And and I want you, even when we're done here in Genesis 28, I want want you to keep your finger, because we'll be back to Genesis 28. I think the question is, when he said, I saw you under the fig tree, it could be that he knew no no one was there. So no one could have seen me under the fig tree, but I think there was more going on. I think when he said, I saw you under the fig tree, it was almost like he was looking into his mind and into his heart. Saying, I saw what you were thinking about under the fig tree. I saw what you were meditating on under the fig tree. And if, can we put together, what was he thinking about? What was on Nathaniel's mind under the fig tree? And let me just share a few passages that I think might have been on his mind. I think he was thinking about Jacob. In Genesis 28, verse 1, says, Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, arise, go to Pat Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your, mother, uh, your fa- mother's father, and take a wife from there of uh, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Listen to this. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become, many, become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. That's a big deal. It's the Abrahamic covenant now being passed on to Jacob. Turn just a couple pages over to chapter 32 in Genesis. In Genesis 32 in Genesis, we have the account where Jacob is wrestling with God. In the middle of the night, he was wrestling, wrestling. Verse 25, when the man he was wrestling with saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with it. Then he said, let, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he, almost, he wrestled a blessing out of God. And he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Now, just real quick. So this is Israel. This is where the nation of Israel came from. It came from his loins, literally. The name was passed down. So where it was one person, then it became an entire nation. His name was Israel. The entire nation became Israel. But what did Jacob used to mean? Or, sorry, what did his name used to mean when it was Jacob? Remember, when he was born, he was the second born, right? And when he was coming out of the womb, he grabbed the heel of his older brother. So they named him Jacob which means heel-catcher, which is a Hebrew idiom for a trickster. And he lived like a trickster. He tricked the birthright out of his brother. He tricked the blessing out of his father, two really big deals. He tricked his father-in-law out of most of his wealth and two of his daughters. He was a trickster. And here, he's wrestling with God. God wants to go, and Jacob says, no, I'm not going to let you go until you give me a blessing. And look, he blesses him. He says, and and Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. One last last passage, chapter 35. In verse 9, God appeared to Jacob again. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer she called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. I wonder if he went back to being called Jacob, and God says, no, no, you are no longer Jacob. Israel is your name. And I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give you the land to your offspring. Then God went up from this place where he had spoken with him. So in that I just see a lot of clues that make sense of this interaction that Jesus had with Nathaniel. I think, Je- I think Nathaniel was sitting there under the tree. So he comes up and Jesus says, Look, here's an Israelite that has no God. He's not a trickster. I-, I, think, I wonder if Nathaniel wasn't pondering. If this guy can get a blessing from God, if this guy, Jacob, could see God face to face, if this trickster got all these blessings. What about me? I'm an honest man. I love Yahweh. I seek for him in the scriptures and I wait for him in my life. When will I see God moving in my life like he moved in Jacob's life? And so then he's coming, and Jesus says, Ah, here's a man, here's an Israelite without guile. Jacob doesn't get it yet. He says, How do you know me? And it's almost like he keyed in and said, I know what you're thinking about under the fig tree. And that's why Jacob responded the way he did. Let's see if we're correct. One last passage. Back, did you keep your finger there in 28? I pulled mine out too early. 28. After that initial blessing, in verse 10, Jacob's on the run. And by the way, he's on the run because he just stole his brother's birthright and the blessing of the firstborn. And his brother wants to kill him, so he's on the run. And he goes, let's see, look at verse 11. He came to a certain place, and staying there that night because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. So heaven was open. This ladder's down. God is in heaven looking down. And the angels are going up and down the ladder. The Lord said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you... And your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So Jesus was telling, I believe, was telling Jacob, I'm sorry, was telling Nathan, listen, I know what you were thinking, and you found them. the one. What Jesus said, you'll see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You'll see heaven open. That perfectly parallels the vision that Jacob saw. The only difference is, instead of a ladder, it's Jesus. Jesus is the one that the angels are descending and ascending on. Jesus is the one that's coming down out of heaven. Jesus is the one that's connecting heaven to earth. It was like Jesus was saying to Nathanael, you'll see what Jacob saw. You will receive what was promised to Jacob, but you'll only see it and you'll only receive it in me. So you can't get to that open heaven without me. You won't see God apart from me. And remember those, those blessings that angels came down and up. Angels are messengers. It's almost like Jesus said, I'm going to usher the prayers up and I'm going to bring the blessings down. An angel was a messenger. and In God's ministry on earth, he brought messages of peace, of truth of righteousness, of grace, of love, and of forgiveness. Can you see it there? I think Jacob, I think Nathaniel saw it. So now the question is, so what? So what? That's a neat little factoid. That's cool that you pointed that out. Maybe you believe it, maybe you don't. But let's get to this. Is this more than a clever connection or is there relevance for you and me? Does this passage in John chapter 1 have relevance for Hoosiers who are staring down possibly another lockdown or family members that are sick or whatever burdens you may brought in here today? I think there's two important takeaways. I'm put them in first person so you can receive these fully. Here's the first takeaway for you this morning. I really want you to take this and hold on to it. You can state... Jesus sees me. Jesus sees me. He doesn't just see you. He sees you. The parts of you that you're afraid to show anyone else. We see you, but we see what you present. Jesus sees everything. And he loves you. Here's the questions you dare not ask out loud. The hurts that you carry. The doubts that you harbor. The hopes that you cling to. He sees it all, and of everything he sees in you, nothing scares him. He knew all of that even before you realized it. He knew all that was going to be there before you were even born, and still he comes to you. And what's more, the second takeaway here is Jesus connects Jesus connects to the Father, to heaven, to glory, to eternal life. He sees all that I am and he connects me. Christianity isn't enough for you. Christ is enough. Christ is all that you need. He's the only path to heaven. And remember those angels ascending and descending? We have the coming kingdom promised to us. We're going to climb that ladder. We have the kingdom promised to us. But in Christ, so many of those kingdom blessings dribbled down to us here and now. The kingdom promises, the kingdom blessings, strength, peace, power, wholeness, wellness, confidence, grace, mercy, forgiveness. They're all ours, but they only come through our connection in Christ. So we've seen Jesus lead us down a few profitable paths in this morning's sermon Paths of evangelism, paths of Bible study, most importantly here, paths of intimacy with Christ. So the only question now is how will we respond when Jesus, as he said to Philip, says to you and to me, follow me. So let's respond in worship together.